Getting paid to be a musician is for a lot of people, the ultimate dream job. I'd say interviewing one of your favorite musicians is a pretty close second. In this episode, I got to do just that when I sat down with Garrett Dutton, aka G-Love of G-Love and the Special Sauce. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. I've been a big G-Love fan since I was in college. I heard his music all the time growing up, and when he played at Emory University, where I was going to school in Atlanta, Georgia, I was over the moon. At the time, not a lot of kids at my school totally knew who he was, but G-Love was always on the radio in San Diego, especially when he did that song with Jack Johnson, Rodeo Clown. What I love about Garrett Dutton is not only is he such a talented musician who's mixed from different genres, including hip hop, folk, blues, rock, skate, and surf, but he's a pro. He's been making music and touring successfully for over 20 years. When I was 22 in 2002, I actually spent a year traveling on a tour bus as a music journalist. It was my first job right out of college for the Vans Warped Tour Festival. So it bought in my heart for musicians especially ones who make songs I really love and ones who happen to do activities I like, like surfing. I always feel a little nostalgic when I get in a tour bus. So when Garrett came through San Diego on his latest tour and we sat down on his tour bus, it was a special treat. We talked not only about how he started playing music at age eight, but how he turned that into a lasting career in the industry and his advice to anyone who's a creative and wants to make it doing something they love. I'm with Garrett in the tour bus. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thanks, Shelby. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I haven't been in a tour bus in a while, so it's it's a trip, but I love it. <laughs> this podcast was initially, the idea was to find someone who was really inspired by the outdoors and the love of a sport uh-huh. and was a musician. And I was like, gee, love. <laughs> cool. And, I, and you once played, I went to this, I'm from here, I'm Cardiff by the uh-huh. Sea. Right. And I went to school at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. And I graduated in 2001-ish. Why'd you go there? Because I knew I'd surf if I went to USC or UCLA and I wanted wanted to study journalism okay. and focus. The CNN was there and oh, right. I knew I would have to focus and the soccer team was like pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, I stuck out like sore thumb though. I wanted a cultural experience and so I went to school in Atlanta, but but you played at our school and like people didn't get it. it, it okay. Jack Johnson was also around there. No, I was like, oh my God, you guys have no idea. These guys are the best. And so I got to stand front row the whole time. I mean, the people, people loved your music, but I don't think the kids at Emory in Atlanta totally knew. And then we would follow, then I had a girlfriend who, we went and saw you in Jacksonville or in some college towns in Georgia and South Florida and people raged at your shows. Oh, like cool. They were so fun. Do you remember playing shows in the early 2000s in college towns? Just, yeah. I mean, you still, yeah. it's still the same crowd. Yeah. You have this great background of influence. So it was hip hop and blues and it's a different mix than a lot of artists. Can you talk a tiny bit about that? Yeah, well, I guess um, on two sides, like the musical side, you know, my mother put me in like folk guitar lessons when I was a young kid and I, I didn't like it, but I stuck with it. And then eventually it started sounding pretty good. 
when I was like 13. And I learned a lot of Beatles songs. It seemed like a lot of teachers would teach me Beatles songs. Um, and other people, Bob Dylan, or just all different kind of, you know, acoustic, strummy songs. And that was an interesting thing to first learn how to sing and play a song by playing Beatles songs, which are, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest songwriters of, of all time. So I'm um, certainly, I was learning good songs, good crafts, good changes. So then I got into the Delta Blues through playing harmonica because I was, this is the 80s, I was playing a harmonica on the um, rack when all my friends were playing in Cure cover bands. Yeah, <laughs> I was somehow found folk and Bob Dylan and Peter, Paul and Mary and Lead Belly and Woody Guthrie and all this stuff. And, um, and then I found the Delta Blues through an artist named John Hammond. And that changed my life listening to John Hammond. And that because John did records of interpretations of other blues man songs, I was able to trace that back and find you know, Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson and Skip James and Elmore James, Mississippi John Hurt and Mississippi Fred McDonald. That list can go on and on. So there was this side of me that was this folk kid, right? And writing songs about, you know, the city and the country. And, and then I got into blues. I started writing more about the city of Philadelphia. And then the same time, I was like, a, you know, a surfer, skate rat. So I had that beach thing, but I also grew up in the city of in the inner city of Philadelphia. Um, so I had this whole street culture thing going, um, and you know I was skateboarding, I was writing graffiti, we were breakdancing, we were playing basketball. We're you know really a part of this street hip hop culture in the '80s, which was the soundtrack was you know. The Beastie Boys and LL Cool J, Run DMC, Public Enemy, you know, later De La Soul, Child Call Quest, and Kairos One and um, Eric B and Rakim. So, you know, I had these like this juxtaposition from this like hippie, crunchy kid to this like skateboarding, you know, graffiti writing kid. And and one day later, they just kind of collided. And when I was a street musician, I started rapping the verse for this Eric B and Rakim song paid in full over my blues riff and then I knew at that moment mm. that it was like the sky opened up and that was like one of my great epiphanies of, of my life like wow I just found a style that no one's kind of thought of before yeah you have this perfect blend so, that's so so awesome that, that you exciting. have that yeah. yeah Philly Philly and Boston aren't they don't seem like the easiest they're so different than like Jersey Beach Town or yeah. San Diego. I mean, Philly, um, Philadelphia was a really interesting city. And again, it also had a lot to do with where I was from because, so Philadelphia as a city, it's a walkable city. It's a grid, right? So we always would say like, we lived downtown, you know, in Second and Delancey. I lived in like a nice kind of like a you know upscale inner city neighborhood. Philadelphia is like, neighborhoods and especially back in the day it was real clear cut the lines like you know this neighborhood is white and this neighborhood is you know uh, Italian and then it went to the project where a lot of African American communities lived and then 
the other way that's south and if you go north it's gonna go you know working class like polish and then go to puerto rican and then you know african-american neighborhood or then chinatown you know so everything we always say like you know, and you go go west and first you're going to hit the irish neighborhood so you always say you know don't don't walk too far in one direction on any given street because you're going to end up someplace yeah. where you probably don't want to be you know what i mean and that was like real but at the same time that proximity was like a real melting pot so i played in a basketball league and that was you know, i was like one of the only white kids in there and that was the first time i heard the beastie boys it was one of my friends said put you know put his headphones on and they played his beastie boys song hold it now and then you know hold it now hit it and then he and i was like oh that's so cool what is that he's like yeah it's the beastie boys they're white just like you and i was like no they're not you know because it was especially then it was like you know it, it was hip-hop was like a really pure african-american cultural music of of those neighborhoods and and that's what it was and like you know as like a as like a white kid like I, I love to listen to it but you never thought of yourself you know being a rapper but then one day it just kind of happened to me but anyhow, anyhow philly was unique because of that melting pot thing a lot of ideas were stirring around and you know the same you know just in a three you know there, there was three bands that came out of there that really took hip-hop and spread it in a different way and that was the goats um who you might not know but i'm sure you know the roots and you know we were all the same graduate the same year grew up you know in different neighborhoods you know 10 blocks away from each other whatever it was so uh, we were all the same age so, th so the roots are interesting because they were um you know black kids that wanted to recreate hip-hop records that they love with live instruments because they were all art school kids yeah. and that's what they did so they and and before that like you see hip-hop was just you know two turntables and a microphone right or a dat and a microphone and um and that was very specific it wasn't meant to be have a live band but you know they did that and then obviously you see where their career's going and same thing for us we were it was a white kid with a guitar and my band's basically a garage band and you know we were rock and roll kind of blues hip-hop and um and so yeah this was at a time when you know those three bands kind of blurred the lines and then and then of course on the west coast at the same time beck came out at the exact same time so there it was a generational thing where kids like me they grew up with the old school hip hop guys started taking it in different directions, but we were lucky because we were the first. A lot of it has something to do with timing, you know. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's cool that you did that and you you broke ground. And today, it's still super relevant. And what I love so much is that, well, obviously it's G love, but love is such a big part of everything you do. Has it always been since you were a little kid? Like, were you sensitive? Were you? I'm just so curious. Yeah, I mean, I guess like I guess I was a sensitive. I'm a sensitive kid, um, you know, sure. But it takes a lot for people who are at a high level to realize that they need to let go of their ego and let love sort of show the way. It's the hardest thing, I think. So much of the way we all act and interact with the world is ego-driven, and that's kind of a natural, you know, 
thing and of course it can be very helpful and it can also be very you know, harmful to your performance and surely if you can let go of the ego especially if you're you know in the position that we're in you know performing for the people so it's a funny thing because music is inherently completely personal and you spend your you know your young days as a teenager when you're learning to become a musician you know isolated and alone and you're doing this for yourself you know um, without at least for me like without thinking about like you know was I gonna be able to be on stage or anything or I just was writing songs and so it's very you know it's sort of self motivated but thing. it's yeah. also selfless yes and then when you when you're playing music you have to first connect with yourself right you have to like connect with the people that you're um, playing with and then you have to you know get that vibe out so so yeah like I guess over the years I've become more thoughtful about you know what it is I'm doing and I, I think like ultimately if I want to boil down like what my mission is every night is you know to connect with people and to make people happy and inspire them and um, that's what I'm trying to do because if I wanted to play music just for myself I could, I could just be at home you know so this is not only a job for us but it's it's my life's work and passion to be on stage and I love it you know so um, yeah it's it is all about the love, you know? It's so it great. Really is. I know, I'm actually friends with Eric from Nosara, and I know when you oh, did okay, his cool. podcast, you talked about this mantra that you do before shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you still do that? I do, yeah. Could you just tell us a little bit about the mantra? Because I, I found it so inspiring that I started the last two mornings waking up and saying, I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to be really nice to myself. I'm going to go out with tons of energy. I'm going to send lots of love to everybody, and I'm going to give everything I have to my podcast. Nice. It's been a game changer. Yeah, I guess it's the same kind of thing. Just kind of the you know power of uh, positive thinking. But um, yeah, I, I just kind of like before the show, you know, I have a little routine, which, you know, basically we're coming up to it right now. Like after we finish this podcast, I'll do a quick sound check and then I do a little VIP show. And then I'll come take, you know, get something quick to eat and then take my little nappy poo. And then... Uh, we all nap here before the show, a little disco nap to get ready for the, the night. The nap is like not just for little kids. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I like to separate kind of the day from the night. And, you know, for us, everything gears up to like the, on a show day, the whole day gears up to that, you know, hour and a half, two hours on stage. So I want to have all our energy. So yeah, I, I wake up from my nap. I meditate for 10 or 15 minutes. I do a vocal lesson over the phone with my teacher. What does that look like really quickly? Because I've been looking vocal for lesson? vocal lessons for a while. Well, my teacher is this woman, Donna Newman, and she's kind of this uh, quirky older lady from New York. I mean, she's crazy, but she's... I uh, love her, so she's crazy New one York One of a lady. kind. <laughs> you know, my friend Citizen Cope turned me on to her. He was doing lessons before every show, and I said, what? And I so I started doing it, and um, it's been a complete game changer for me um yeah i had vocal surgery in 2008 so i've learned a lot about the voice but this is a really game changer because it's kind of like you know working with a personal trainer if you're an athlete right before your game and uh so we do a number of exercises usually the same exercises and we've been doing them for 
you know, three three years. So I've probably taken, you know, I don't know, 500 vocal lessons in the last three years. So what do you do? Do you go like, me, 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 or bumblebee, um, bumblebee? Well, I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, you start like, ah, ah, and then she's like, okay, you're in good voice, or oh, what did you do last night? And then just a lot of different exercises, like, um, this is like the compared to a falsetto, it's like, la, You know, so I don't know, just Damn. stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really helps. And then after, then right before I go on, I do have this. I guess it's more of an affirmation and a mantra. But and it got kind of long over the years. But yeah, you want me to say it? Yeah. All right. Well, I yeah, like it's funny because I had it in my notes in my in my iPhone, and and somebody got deleted. But I know most of it by heart. But it goes uh, basically like I feel happy and euphoric with joy to be playing music. My skills are practiced and on point. I feel seasoned and confident from years on stage. I engage the crowd and connect with them all. Tonight I play my greatest show ever. I let tonight be its own night, a great night, inspired in its own way. And then I feel my body moving agilely and loosely. I sweat and feel my body release any tension. I feel a synergy and a connection with my band. I feel the crowd. I don't judge the crowd. I'm happy if there are zero to a million people tonight because i'm happy in myself playing music i feel the vibe i'm a rock star i'm a man of the people i stalk the stage like a great panther if i'm injured or sick in any mental physical or emotional way let the music lift me up music heals my soul the show is the best part of my day i'm at my best when i play music the people i love and respect love and respect what i do and then i go you know i am the blues i'm a living legend of the blues my voice is strong and supported. My notes are of pure pitch and timber. My guitar is singing and cutting. The harmonica's blazing. The rhythm is pulsing like a freight train. I am a freight train. I am a human freight train. You know, I am love. And then, like, you know, I love my band. I love the songs. I love the crowd. I love myself. I love this stage. You know, I'm ready. Let's have a great show. Love saves the day. I let love shine and truly save the day. Thank you for letting me play my music. <laughs> that's, I love that's, yeah, that. So, that's, so I kind of say that to myself, and uh, and then we have like a group hug, and then you know Frank makes the announcement, and we go rock out. Garrett isn't just a musician. When he was young, he discovered surfing and fell in love. So how did a kid from Philly find surfing, and how does he find time to surf when he's on the road touring? Well, you can find out where he surfs and how he does it after this message from our sponsor. REI Co-op asks, what does nothing sound like? REI Co-op, helping you answer your outside questions outside. Find out at REI.com. How old are you now? Can I ask? I'm 46. Oh, nice. Yeah. You're still young. <laughs> and you started playing music when you were eight years old. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So you, you started with a guitar and you were also a really good athlete. So I heard that you were a basketball player, but then you found skateboarding and surfing. Yeah. So how did surfing in particular stick? And like, how did you grow? You grew up in Philly. Yeah. So how did you find surfing? 
Well, you know, um, I was lucky enough. My parents, we had a beach house at the Jersey Shore in this town called Avalon, New nice. Jersey. Yeah. And so, yeah, we grew up surfing there since I was a kid. Like for any parents out there, like all the stuff that 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 really shaped my world, I started when I was eight. Started playing guitar when I was eight. I started surfing when I was eight. I started playing basketball when I was eight. And um, those were kind of the three kind of pillars of. So your three you loves. Know, yeah, my. Guitar, my basketball, hobbies, and surfing. Know. And I don't like basketball is too hardcore to play now, but surfing I, I, I surf as much and as often as I can. And certainly, um, so how has surfing like affected and changed my life? Um, well, how well, did it first stick? I mean, there's okay. always that moment where you, right. but yeah, then let's talk about how it's changed your life. I guess it first stuck because I don't know. I mean, I was a kid and that's what, you know, me and my best friends did. And I always loved the ocean and, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, surfing's, if, if you play, I don't play golf, but I imagine it's a lot like golf. It's like, you know, you against yourself. No way. It's nothing like golf. Like you're in the ocean. There's dolphins. Like <laughs> well, I just golf. mean like the, the pursuit of like, you know, it's not like a team sport necessarily. Totally. It's, it's like you and the ocean and, you know, it can be very frustrating because, you know, some days it can be like you feel like the king of the world and some or just in one session you can feel completely like an idiot and humbled and you can feel like a superhero so it's uh it's one of those things that and no matter how great you get or how bad you suck there's always you know you're always trying to get better you're never master yeah and you never like i i like recently like i i've i have a I hope that no one takes offense to this, but my new line is that surfing is misery <laughs> because it's like the thing that it's like falling in love with, um, you know, someone that will never love you the same way that you love them. And um, it's like, you know, you can never quite get her. <laughs> you know, you know I mean? That's like, so true. And but you, you, you obsess over it like, you know, it's, here we are sitting, you know, within the stones throw of the ocean, and uh, you know it's been raining. The waves are kind of sucky, and all my boys down here are like, "Now don't go surfing. You know the water's super dirty. You're gonna get a cold. I wouldn't recommend it while you're on tour." Okay, so you know I'm like miserable here because I got my boards in the trailer. I got oh, my wetsuits. I want to go surf. Get your surf. boards all underneath the tour bus. Yeah, and you, you know you can go tomorrow in the morning. I'm gonna go before. at Salt Creek tomorrow. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> It'll be fun. So the idea of this podcast was to find someone who could talk about how surfing or whatever their sport was and music sort of collide yeah so i mean um for me it's it's been this unbelievable thing like um you know of course you know so i grew up surfing and i wrote a lot of songs and played a lot of guitar my parents beach house on the front porch so you know i don't know like those summertime vibes i always like to play sit outside and play and um I think just being in that beach community, which was like many beach communities, you know, what you're, we were shokels, summer, summer locals, but we were pretty local. I mean, grew shokels, I've never heard that. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, but it wasn't, you know, inherently like, I guess the closest thing I had to actually being literally music and surfing was I wrote a song called My Mom Was a Surfer. Mom Was a Surfer. And it's on this G Love bootleg called G Love in the King's Court. 
and it was about my mom because my mom you know she also grew up surfing at the jersey shore and there was this mom? yeah there's a picture of her like in you know in the 60s in a bikini like staying on the board which i have the board still it's like That's this really old rare log for women to have surfed in that era <laughs> that was the era of gidget i know but like <laughs> there was there was some but there weren't that many yeah well she was well i mean she, your mom's a pioneer okay <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> she definitely doesn't surf anymore but i'll give her props but Tell um, her i think she's a legend okay, okay so your mom was a surfer yeah and you wrote about your mom yeah so you know so i had that and then ultimately you know i i too i like you went to emory to focus i moved to boston where i also didn't know anyone uh wanted to be away from my family and friends uh, just away from anything other than just me being no one mess with me and i'm gonna play music and that's what i did and that's led me here so along the way i'll never forget this day you know in the late 90s probably like 97 some of the legendary locals at our beach one lives out here now because scott garner and i was just riding my bike and they said yo garrett come over to the crib i want you know we want to show you show you this video you're in a surf video and i was like oh my god the coolest guys in town because i was always kind of a kook and they're like and now like the best surfer in town I was like come over and watch a surf video because your music's in it and i was like yes. what that's awesome so we went to watch this video and it was called eight and it was a malloy brothers you know jack johnson film and um they had basically put it was like the whole soundtrack was uh songs from my first and second record of course they never cleared it they never of course, got they permission to use music, it <laughs> and so i was like watching i was like wow and then i'm like wow these guys just fucking ripped off all my music and so i was like this is awesome but and i called my manager right after i was like yo you gotta call these people ripped off our music so you know of course that was how we initially made contact with them just saying hey you know you you like, used all our music and you have to license it and well they don't have any money but they sent us a bunch of surf wax and on a mission track top <laughs> and leashes <laughs> and that started and i didn't know it yet then but that could, that would lead a couple years later to um out here in cali i was recording my fourth record um in malibu at topanga i was staying at topanga canyon ranch motel and my good friend scott sowens also from yeah. avalon who's a became a great surf skate photographer of the years he was working with jack and the malloys and he said gary you got to meet this kid jack johnson and he's a huge fan and he's an awesome surfer and he's got this song you got to hear called rodeo clowns can he can we come by yeah come on by so we went by went for a surf it's super flat and then jack and i traded songs um, and then, you know, the rest is history. Two days later, we were in the studio where we cut his song, Rodeo Clowns, which ended up being a single for our record. And it happened here out of here in San Diego. 99X, the station. 91X, yeah. 91X. Yeah. They, they were banging Rodeo Clowns. And the intro we, said, they hey. They played it every minute on the yeah. radio. And that they were the like, best. hey. And the, the intro started like, hey, this is G-Love. I just got out of surf in Cali. Even though I'm Philly born and bred, I'm here with my man Jack Johnson. Blah, blah, blah. And then... Jack, what time is it? Jack, yeah. Yo, Jack, Tom, what time is it? Did it? So, a couple years later, Jack made his record. And then they recognized the name. And then they spun it. And then it just went like wildfire. Not That's not a great term to use out here. But it, it spread. <laughs> it spread um, like... 
Brush Fire. Brush Fire. Um, and, and it really connected. And then obviously one of the great musicians of our time was kind of born. So and and, and full circle that just being down with Jack and then his crew, of course, is people like Kelly Slater and Rob Machado and all the other wonderful surfers. So my surfing got a lot better <laughs> after I met Jack because, you know, I got to surf and be great friends with all these guys. And um, it's been a wild trip. So surfing remains, you know, a, a passion of mine. And and um, I'm finally moving to a beach town in Cape Cod. Wow. In Orleans, and our beach is called Nosset Beach, where we have, unfortunately, have a crazy, active, and highly congested great white shark population. What? So it's... Are you just saying that so people don't come in? No, <laughs> it's like, kidding. it's crazy, like, you see them. Wow, Like, you're wild. out in the water, and then they're tagging sharks, like, 100 yards from you, and someone, and last summer, no one had gotten hit since the 1930s, and... You know, last summer two people got hit and one one was fatal so it all of a sudden last summer got really re real for us yeah so when you surf because you have so because you spend so much time like in the water do you ever come up with songs in the water because yeah I, you do <laughs> and how do you what do you do because like if i come up with a story idea in the water it's super stressful like yeah. i'm like i don't have a pen right i finally got a little waterproof no, notepad uh, that i awesome. put in my wetsuit before but it's annoying. Like, I'm not going to put a pen in your bikini. Like, it's just yeah. like, all things kind of, but I've done it before yeah. because I've had an idea yeah. come up. What do you do? Well, I just keep, it happens all the time. It, and it just shows you um, when you're surfing, it's kind of like your mind's lucid, like like it is when you're going to sleep or waking up, like you're at peace and you're. You're in flow. Yeah, you're in flow and your mind's expanding. So oftentimes, yeah, I'll, I'll come up with a catchy melody or I'll start singing a verse. And then I just, yeah. So the question is, do you get out and go through all that and run back to your car and go write it down or sing it in your phone? Or do you just keep surfing and repeat it over and over and over and over and over again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's smart. One of those two sing things it. are. And, and, you know, like anything, I mean, you know, if, if it is a really, really good idea, You'll most likely remember it, hopefully. <laughs> do you, is that how you do, I mean, you're you're a high achiever and it's really cool that you approach your music like, I mean, a job, you have a coach, you're you're so professional doing this interview, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I so appreciate it. What's sort of your, your process? I know you have a coach, but like in writing songs, do you sit down and just write them and bang them out or do you like wait for them to kind of, come to you and I guess the reason I'm asking you this is there's this famous TED talk with Elizabeth Gilbert the girl who oh. wrote Eat Pray Love and she had interviewed Tom Waits and he said that like songs would come to him while he was driving in traffic in LA and he had like no phone nothing with him and he'd right. be like I can't pull over like I can't how do you catch him just like songs kind of will come to you so do songs like come to you or do you sit down and sometimes just by showing up and doing the work they always come I think the most important thing is just to kind of um, be open, like leave yourself open to being a watcher and an observer and a you know note taker of your surroundings, everything you eat, drink, touch, see, smell, hear, read. Um, it could be something you hear two drunk guys saying on the corner. It could be something funny you say to me. So, oh my God, that what did you say? Well, that's a song. I'm always looking for that sticky phrase. And a sticky melody 
and I'm always writing them down or singing them into my phone. And then, so I have a huge, you know, my notes on my phone is, and like even my, you know, my voice memos, it's just, these are all just jams. He's and scrolling through a million ideas, amazing you know? memos. <laughs> notes, it's the same thing. I just got like, let's see. Let's see if there's some song ideas. Well, there's a lot of stuff. So you just type your notes. So you type yeah. your songs in your iPhone. Yeah, and I just type ideas, and then, and then when I get time to have an afternoon or a day that I, you know, dedicate to getting some of these ideas out into a regular song, and then and then you take that sticky phrase and you know the band comes up with a great groove. It sounds like I have something. Oh, I got something that can go over that. And they happen all different ways, but um, I think ultimately all the work has occurred your whole life. And and for me now, like I have, you know, close to 20 records out. We have a lot of songs. I'm, I'm really... Um, 20 records? I mean, how many songs is that? Per, I mean, eight per song? Some are no, well, that's, that's if you 12. were going to say 10 to 14 songs on every record. So, you know, it's over 200 songs. So that's just stuff that's, just that's published, out, yeah. You know, and then every, every record that you put out you probably went in the studio with 20 20 songs or 30 or 50 songs so you know a lot of songs so i, I basically two things one is that if i'm making a song if if it starts feeling forced at all or i don't feel it truly inspired or i feel like i'm just doing this for i'll just stop so it, a song has to be like come from a pure place for me it has to be something that's like pure whatever it's about if it's just about something stupid and funny or if it's about something very serious or it's about you know politics or if it's about social stuff or if it's something very personal whatever it is like i want it to be true and pure and come from a place like that this is a piece of art this is not like something that's meant for some kind of commercial reason or anything like that it's got to be like a pure place and it's got to be good and if it's not then psh, uh, these days i kind of just step off it sooner because i have so many great songs so um i guess i'm, I'm more self-critical now so you know whatever um but songwriting is definitely like anything it's something that you have to develop the craft and put in a lot of times and 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 this is early on I would I would force myself to write and force myself to finish a shitty idea. And that's good. And and th that's important process too just being able to to focus and do that but but now I, I don't do that as much. Like I like I said it's just got to Well be now pure. you know it's going to be good or yeah. you like. And and so ultimately like uh, the best songs are easy because your whole life's leading up to that moment and you've been working on your craft so that when you do get something great it's like boom and it should just flow and just blam and there's this killer song in addition to being a surfer and a musician garrett dutton is also a dad he loves getting outside with his family and on his own to pursue his passions and it's really in the outdoors where some of his best works and song lyrics are born is it is it a trip to be touring still? I mean, you've got a kid, you're married. Yeah, I got a 17 year old who's going to graduate high school this year, and I have a three year old. Wow. Well, he's about to be three this this month. So you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> Full on dad mode. What do you like to do with your kids outside? Surf, obviously. Yeah. But 
What about your three-year-old? Yeah, we um, we're 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 beach people for sure, and um, you know, Lewis is a young one. He's just kind of starting to get to the age where he can cruise around pretty good. So, but you know, we're we're like out like when my when my Aiden was a kid, we go camping all the time, and you know, I I've, I've been an outdoor kid my whole life. Like I used to work, you know, I've done a lot of stuff on the trail. Like I used to work for um. I did a summer in the Greater Yellowstone Recovery Corps with the SCA Student Conservation Association, like building um, trail maintenance and stuff in the backcountry. And I hiked a base camp at Mount Everest with Love Hope Strength Foundation. That was tough. (laughs) But yeah, like, you know, we we like to get outdoors. And And you played some benefit concerts in Costa Rica in my favorite town. Yeah, we we, go to. We we go down to Nosara, in Costa Rica every year and do a benefit down there and um. And you're friends with Rob and Kelly, so have you gotten to go to the wave pool yet? Yeah. You bastard! No, I'm just kidding. So awesome! Yeah. What was it like? It was frustrating. Like it was, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, being an East Coast surfer. Like obviously, tube riding is not my uh, specialty. Although Rob Kelly seems to be doing a good job with it, but um. The most helpful thing about the wave pool is that, like, you can go. They film every wave, so you can go back with one of their coaches, and like, and he can show you. Oh yeah, well, so you, you keep do this. you keep rolling up in the tube because you're not holding the line. You know, like I'm trying to like adjust in the tube. I didn't know. What, no one really ever told me like you got to like stick it and just you know? stay in the line. Yeah, and like I don't I, know how to do it. And actually, I've the two like I've gone to uh, Tavaru a bunch with Kelly and his crew and i've gotten to surf with kelly a lot over the years and um it's all you always gotta like kick yourself because like i grew up he we're the same exact age so when i grew up he was like my age like on the cover of you know surfer mag like or the sun deck ad back in the day so like i've always been starstruck every time i hang with kelly i'm just like fucking hanging with kelly <laughs> but yeah i said kelly how do you what what's what's your best advice for like when you're in the tube, I can get in it too, but I can't get out. He goes, well, I guess just get out <laughs> or something like that. So he said something like that, like, how do, how do you get out of it too? He's like, you just get out of it. But actually, then someone said also, like, you just got to look out of it. Don't look at the wall. Just like, look. Can't look at the wall. Fo- follow the light. So this is an ongoing on, ongoing um, crusade for G-Love to get. Barreled. I mean, I've gotten barreled, you know, but nothing like I haven't got my, my my real good photo op yet. I've only been covered up, but a guy was in the channel who took a picture of it. So it looks like I'm barreled. Okay, right. Yeah. I think you'll get it. I think but, there's a lot of wave pool trips in your future. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And my, and my buddy, Michael Schwab, who's like an investor in, in Kelly and the Chaos Wave Pool, they're, they're working on one right now, too. So... I got some friends in high places that are going to get me pitted. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, the, the wave pool, I mean, I'm telling you what, you watch it on Instagram and stuff. It looks easy, but it It looks easy not. because these, everybody, mostly guys are pros. Um, it's it's definitely, you know, it's definitely uh, a challenge and, and you learn a lot. So it's, it's, a, it's a bucket list. Garrett might not have had as much surf success as he would have liked in Kelly's wave pool, but I've heard he's an amazing surfer. What's so great about Garrett is his attitude about success and failure in the music industry is incredibly healthy. He's not afraid to talk about failure. 
I think part of living wildly or pursuing a career at the highest level like you do means you got to have some failures or you know how to get over failure. Have you, do you have any like stories about failure that you could share? Yeah. I mean, anything, I mean, you know, we've, you know, I remember when we got dropped by Sony records in 2001, that was like, you know, that was a bad one, but then we had our biggest year on the road ever after that. So, so you had uh, some hustle in you. and you know, there's, you know, I mean, I don't know, man, I've been doing this for so long now. Like there's, you know, we've had records that have gone out and really clicked and I put out, I've put out records that I wasn't even happy with and, and they've been like, <laughs> they did well, really popular. And then I put out records that I think are like a real achievement for myself and the band and no one cares. It's, 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 it's interesting. Um, I guess, and, and, and I've had shows where, you know, you get off stage and you feel like, wow, I, I suck. And, you know, like what a shitty fucking experience that was because, you know, but they whatever it. happened. And that's the worst. If you feel like you t to yourself, you had a shitty night and just mm. didn't perform well and didn't feel it. And then people say, oh, that was so great. And you say, really? Were you listening? It sucked, you know? So, I mean, yeah, if you just try, I think you have to try, like, not beat yourself up. And, like, like you know, it's a good thing about music. It's not like an NFL game where if you lose this game, you have all year to think about it. Like, we have a show most most nights. So, if we do have those bad nights, it's like, all right, you know, the next night's going to be great. So, I guess it's just perseverance. You know, you, you don't give up. And try not to beat yourself up. And you try to just do as best you can. And... And you're only human. So if you have a night where it's you feel like terrible about it, you just fucking get up in the morning, dust it off and get another chance to do it and so How have you had such a, a long career? It's it's really remarkable to see The love, man. The love, yeah. So it is the love. Well, yeah, I mean you Let's have to love this and you have to You love it. Show up every night and you have to show up whether you, you know, just got dumped by the girl you love or, you know, your grandmom died or your dog died or any terrible things or you're sick or whatever it is. It's like it's show business. Like, you know, you're gonna have to get on stage and leave it all behind and so there's a certain amount of like you know you have to show up right you have to show up for the big game every night and then you know you have to have your shit together on a business side like you know it's showbiz no business no show so you have to have a certain amount of you know savvy on a business side as I'm sure you do with anybody that you talk to, whether it's professional surfers or rock climbers or anybody doing anything to any degree of notoriety, like they're talented at what they do, but they also have their shit together. They show up and that's a huge part of it. I think a lot of people, uh, did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. I think a lot of people now, I can only imagine what it would be like to be a rock star in front of like screaming fans. It seems like the most ultimate thrill. And I think that movie painted a really good picture of what the songwriting process could be like. And what is it like to be a musician or an artist and just having fans love what you make? Well, I mean, it's the best thing in the world, especially it's the best thing in the world when you know you're on point and you know you've done the work and honed your craft and like you know have it together and then you go out and 
you make these people happy and you give them this great joy and this great release and you have it at the same time with them so and it's like this big you know love fest and um and it just clicks and there's and those are the best nights you know when everybody gets wrapped up in this euphoric sensation which music can but bring to the community. And this know? will happen tonight because San Diego is a huge G-Love fan town. Yeah, man. It's going to happen tonight. Yeah. Unless, I mean, yeah, it's going to happen tonight. I mean, it's going to happen tonight. There's, there's nights where, like I said, like every night when I wake up from a nap, I'm saying, I'm having a, I wake up in the morning, I'm having the best show of my life tonight. I say that every day. And that's my intention. And, you know, most of the time you get a chance, and then, you know, you get a chance the next day to beat it. So that that's where my head's at. So, of course... You know, every night is different. You know, you're going to take your lumps and you're going to have off nights like anybody has off days. But, uh, you know, all in all, you just, you know, plow through it and, and, and you give yourself to it, you know. With a career spanning over 20 years, you might think Garrett would be a little jaded or negative, but he's one of the most positive musicians I've talked to. At the end of our interview, I got a private little harmonica riff from him, and then I even got to attend a small VIP set. Being a successful musician means working hard, but it doesn't mean you have to have a life full of craziness. You can have balance and a life filled with the things and people you love, just like Garrett's done. And I know it's taken a lot of work for him to do so. Thank you so much to Garrett for coming on the show giving me some of your time on the tour and for the private riff and music set that kept me pretty much grinning from ear to ear all day and all week. Also, thank you for your hot sauce. It's really hot and really good. To your management team, Michael and Chris, and to the Belly Up in Solana Beach, one of my favorite music venues ever. Thank you for hosting us. To you listening, I really hope you enjoyed this show. Wild Ideas Worth Living is produced by Annie Fassler and Chelsea Davis and supported by REI, a brand that helps us go on pretty much any outdoor adventure my little heart desires and hopefully yours as well. Tune in week after next for my interview with a past guest that I just had to have back on. She talks about why sucking at something can be so great and why it's okay to be average. Yeah, I said that. So tune in to see why. If you have a minute, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I love reading your reviews. I love that this show is making a small difference in the world and inspiring many of you to do more of what you love and hopefully to be kinder to yourselves and others. I also love it when you tell your friends or 10 friends or 20 friends or heck 30 friends, the more the better. I really just want this show to grow and I want people to listen and I want you to enjoy it. So regardless, wherever you're listening, remember, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Yeah. Okay.